Welcome to Explore Recap. I'm Francois and this podcast is your quick guide to revising and recapping the units in the Explore modules. Thanks for tuning in. So today we are going to be looking at Unit 2 in the Explore the Bible course. And uh, this is going to focus primarily on Genesis 1 to 11. So we'll be looking at how we understand creation and the creation story, what that teaches us about God, what that teaches us about us as creatures made in his image, uh, the role of Adam, and then the consequences of the fall that we read about in Genesis 3, and seeing how that pattern of sin, judgment, grace uh, establishes itself in Genesis 1 to 11. So uh, I'm glad you're here and let's get stuck into unit two. So to start us off, we looked at what is the overarching story of the Bible. Um, throughout church history, theologians has often broken it up into four different parts where you have creation, fall, redemption, and consummation which looks to the future. Here in Unit 2 of, uh, of Explore the Bible, we see they break it up for us into eight different eras. And they do that so that we have eight different units to look at as we explore all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And so it starts off with creation and fall, looking at Genesis 1 to 11. We see a promise that's made to Abraham, um, in Genesis 12, and that fleshes itself out in the rest of Genesis. Then they become a nation, and nationhood is seen in Exodus to Joshua as Israel becomes a nation under God's law. They are then established as a kingdom under God, and with from the judges to the end of Second Kings. And there we see the monarchy introduced. Right after that, it starts to decline, and ultimately the fall of the Israelites, um, the Israelite kingdom, both Judah and Israel. Um, but it ultimately looks forward through the prophets to the coming of a Messiah who will come and be a savior. And so the, the seventh one, sixth one there is the savior, Matthew to John in the gospel. We move on to the church era all the way from Acts to Revelation, and then we end off looking to the future resurrection, the eighth era, which uh, uh, helps us to see this restored creation that we will inherit as God's people. And so this is a basic Bible timeline or meta-narrative that we want to constantly be telling ourselves and telling one another to know where we find ourselves if we're jumping into the Bible. So if you're jumping into Exodus, it's good to know what are the promises that have been made in Genesis as we want to understand what's happening in the book of Exodus and so on and so on. And so this overview, this basic outline just helps us to, to find our feet as we jump into different books of the Bible. And the way in which we learn to do that is by actually telling that to ourselves and to one another. So let me encourage you to do that. As we look at Genesis 1 and God's creation of the universe, the first thing we noted was that God is the one who creates out of nothing. 
Uh, everything was brought into existence by the command of God. And we see at each stage, God spoke and he brought things into existence out of nothing. And so we see that God is the good God who creates everything. And uh, that's important and distinction that gets introduced here. God is the creator. Everything else are created beings, whether that is creation or, as we'll see, humans being creatures. But in Genesis 1, there's a pattern, and whenever an author introduces a pattern to us, it's good for us to take note of that. It communicates emphasis on what is important, especially as we're looking at Genesis um, 1 to 11. Moses has written this in a specific way for us to understand what he's trying to say. And there's certain things he isn't doing and certain things he, are do he is doing. And so let's look at this pattern and see what it can teach us. In Genesis 1, if you read through it, you'll pick up, there's the pattern of God said, let there be, and it was so. God called, God saw it was good, and there was evening and morning on day whatever. And so here we see this pattern teaches us a few things about creation. Creation was made, God created, he saw that it was good, and that suggests to us that this fulfills God's good purpose of creation. It also see, and, uh, explains to us that creation is to be understood and enjoyed according to the creator's purpose. Um, so creation is good, it is created the way God wanted it to be created, and he is the one that creates out of nothing. All of this should inspire in us a sense of awe as to this great God, the one who creates out of nothing through the power of his word. But at the end of Genesis 1, we move on to see that humans play a special part in creation. Humans are the only, only things in creation that, that are made in his image. Genesis 1 verse 27 reads the following. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. And so here, although humanity is created on the same day as the animals and clearly shares many of their characteristics, we see that humans were made for a special relationship with God and it's, if we read further, as we look at their role in creation, their job that they've been given, they've been created for a special relationship with the rest of creation as well. So we see Adam here is called to function in a similar way as God functions, being made in his image. God formed and filled in Genesis 1 and now we see the command given to Adam and Eve is similar they are to be fruitful and increase in number they are to fill the earth and they are to subdue it they are to expand the garden over the face of the earth and so the glory of God will cover the whole earth okay humans are made for a very special relationship with God they're made in his image which tells us something about their dignity and value as well as their purpose and role within creation. All of this is to be understood, uh, to be lived out under God, under his rule as vice regents, not that of um, 
kind of ruling without God, as we'll see a bit later. They do in uh, with the Tower of Babel. Okay, but once again, there's a break in the pattern as we get to verse 3, or 1 to 3 of chapter 2. Here we see uh, this, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, had God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Okay, here the pattern is broken. It is the only day that doesn't end. There's no, there was morning and there was evening on day whatever. And so here, because the pattern is broken, it speaks to us of this rest, the seventh day rest that seems to be what humans are to enjoy um, together with God. And this is what Genesis 2 now moves into, focusing on the relationships within this creation account, focusing on humans' relationships with God and with creation and how that all plays itself out. So in Genesis 2, we see the focus on three different relationships that we want to remember. Humanity is in relationship with creation. There's a specific way in which they ought to act towards creation. They are to have dominion over creation. So creation is under humans, and they are to look after this garden. They are to care, take care of this garden. Um, and so that's, that's their relationship with creation. And they seem that they are, they are to enjoy the blessings of this garden um, that God had given them as they work it. Um, so there's this harmony between mankind and creation within the garden. Not only that, there's harmony between man and God. We see in the Garden of Eden, man dwell, God dwells with his people there, Adam and Eve, and in, they enjoy this intimate relationship with, with God as he speaks to them in the garden. And so here we see there's a relationship with God that is in, in harmony, in peace. Um, they enjoy his presence there in the garden. Um, but he is the one that rules over them and commands them how to act. But not only that, we see that humanity is in relationship with one another. Specifically here, Adam and Eve is in relationship with one another. There's a special complementary nature seen here in the sexes, and it's stressed to see that this is part of how God has created us as humans, specifically to fulfill that which he has purposed for us, specifically here in Genesis, to fill the earth um, with the offspring um, who reflect the image of God across the face of the earth. Okay, and so we see here in Genesis 2 a picture of true harmony, peace with God, peace with one another, Adam and Eve, and peace with creation, everything working together in the way in which God ordained it to be. And so here we see uh, one of the phrases that we'll repeat, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessings. God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, enjoying God, under God's rule, he's the one that's ruling, um, enjoying his blessings. That is what humans were created for, enjoying God 
under God, enjoying that which he has created together with his people. However, uh, that is not where the story ends. Unfortunately, we see that sin enters into the world and uh, we see the first open revolt against God by Adam and Eve um, in the garden as uh, they doubt God's goodness and they unfortunately uh, do not obey God but disobey him by eating the fruit. And so the first place that we go to after uh, the fall has happened, we see God um, pronounce these judgments, these curses on the three characters in the story. He speaks to the serpent, he speaks to the woman, and he speaks to Adam. Um, and so the way in which these relationships are now described, the good relationships that we saw in chapter 2, they've all been broken. Okay, So there's a different relationship between humanity and creation. We see that it's not going to be easy. They're not going to work the ground and it's going to be fruitful and they're going to enjoy the blessings of their labor. Uh, on the contrary, when we read about Adam, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. As well, verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And so here we see the harmony that existed between humanity and creation has now been broken and there will be this continued struggle against our environment as we seek to live out God's commands. Not only that, we see there's a vertical dimension to this as well. Our relationship with God has also been broken. Uh, unfortunately, the moment they sinned, they recognized that their shame and their guilt, and so they tried to hide from God. Um, and as God speaks to them, he doesn't allow them to stay in the garden and dwell with him. Um, by his grace, he expels them out of the garden so that they don't eat from the tree of life but they are removed they are exiled out of the garden and to live outside of god's place um, because of sin god can't dwell um, with his people um, if they are not perfect um, and so he exiles them out of the garden and so this peace with god this intimate relationship with god which humans were created for we see that is also broken uh, as a consequence of the fall. But not only that, even the relationships between humanity will also now include pain and difficulties. We see that as he speaks to the woman and the way in which the husband and wife relationship will be difficult. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he and he will rule over you. Um, that which work together for good, the differences that work together for the good of God's creation um, will now be a tension point through which all couples will have to work. And we see that this relationship, again, it started off, they were naked and unashamed, but now we see they realize they are naked. They feel shame um, because sin had entered into that relationship. The sin will continue to flow into human relationships, even as we see right there in the beginning in chapter 4 of Cain and Abel and the first murder. 
And so, unfortunately, what we read about in Genesis 3 is the fall and sin has entered into the world. Death has now started to infiltrate every area of life, creation and mankind. And so uh, all these relationships that were good have now been broken and we long for them to be fixed. The relationship between mankind and God, we are alienated from God. Um, the relationship between mankind is also broken. There's enmity between, uh, sometimes between man and, and, and woman and between mankind. And the relationship with creation is not that of harmony where both work together for good. On the contrary, man will work hard and creation will not always play its part. And so that is what we read about in Genesis 3. However, despite all the bad news we read about, there is some good news. There's a promise that is made, the promise of the serpent crusher. Um, when God speaks to the serpent, he curses the serpent and he says to him, um, curse are you above all livestock, and he goes on. And then he says in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The judgment of chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 shows us that there will be this constant battle between the serpent's offspring, who we'll see as we follow the story onward, and the woman's offspring. But there's this promise, this promise that from within the human race, out of Eve's seed, uh, there will come a child who will crush the head of the serpent. Of course, this is just the start, but this is nonetheless a promise that is made and a promise that drives the rest of the story forward. Any promise we read about in the Bible, especially if God's the one that is making this promise, our question is, when will this promise be fulfilled? And so we're constantly looking. We know God is faithful. How is he going to fulfill this promise? And so we follow the story and we long for the son of Eve who will come and be the serpent crusher. And that's really even in Genesis what we, what we look for. We're hoping for each boy that is born, would this one be the one who comes and crushes the snake's head? Um, so here we have a promise that, that pushes us forward. This in and of itself is a pattern of God's grace. Sin happened. There was judgment on Adam and Eve and on the serpent, but yet there is grace. They did not die immediately. Um, there's this promise that Eve will have children, and so death had entered into the world, but it is not immediate um, there's a sense in which her offspring will continue, and so it gives hope for the future uh, as we continue to read our way through Genesis. Um, without going into too much detail into the, the rest of Genesis 1 to 11, there's a pattern that seems to emerge as we've already seen. It happens in the story of Noah, and it happens at the Tower of Babel. There is sin. Uh, sin increases over the face of the earth. Um, as we see in chapter 6, verses 5 to 6. But God, uh, in his judgment, uh, he brings judgment. Um, he destroys everything. Um, but he establishes a covenant with 
Noah. And we see there with Noah, uh, this seems to be Adam 2.0. The same promise or the same command is given to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in chapters 9 verses 1 and 2. Um, he has to have dominion over everything as well. And, and, and so we see maybe Noah, this fresh start, will, uh, will change everything. Maybe this is the serpent crusher that will come. However, the reality is, or although Noah, um, we see he was obedient, he trusted God, and he built the ark. Uh, he was saved. This one family was chosen by God and, and saved, and, and those who were with him were saved from the coming judgment, which is a picture in and of itself of the way in which God saves. Um, but Noah was not perfect. Despite our hopes and dreams we had for Noah, Noah also sinned. And unfortunately, we see the story of sin continue to infect every area of life. Sin spreads throughout all of creation, and it culminates in Genesis 1 to 11 with the Tower of Babel. Here in the Tower of Babel, instead of going out across the face of the earth and being image bearers of God to spread his glory across the end, to the ends of the earth, here they do the opposite. Um, they come together and say, let us build and that we may make a name for ourselves. Um, this is a story about human arrogant self-assertion. We see, unfortunately, the problem of the human heart and of sin was not dealt with by the flood. Despite starting again with Noah, uh, sin had entered into every area of life and specifically entered into the human heart um, so that uh, just that judgment could not fix that. Despite their sin, we see that God comes and he acts in judgment. He comes down to see the tower, which is has a hint of irony to it. Um, the big tower that they are building, God comes down to see it. Um, but he in light of this, he judges them and he disperses them through the confusing of their, their, their language. And so they did not understand one another's speech. And so they went across over the face of the earth and they left building that city. That's kind of where we end at the end of chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, we are really actually quite hopeless We've seen a few things here that should humble us. We've seen that although man is created in the image of God um, to live under his rule and enjoy his bless blessing, um, after sin had entered into the world, the human heart and its nature had been corrupted and is inclined towards evil. Um, and we see sin come up over and over again. Uh, and nothing up until this point has been able to fix that. We've seen, though, on the other hand, that's if we look at ourselves. On the other hand, as we look at God, we've seen that God is a just God who won't let sin go unpunished, but also that he's a gracious God. There has been this constant image of sin, judgment, grace, Adam and Eve. Sin, judgment, grave, grace, uh, Noah. Sin, judgment, grace, Tower of Babel. So next week, we are expecting or waiting for this grace to come. But how will God fix 
this predicament that humans are in? Will humans ever experience this right relationship with God? Will they dwell in his place and enjoy this fellowship and intimate relationship with him and they experience his blessing? Um, how will that come about? Because it doesn't seem like mankind has it in and of it himself to do that. Sin just keeps coming up and seems to destroy or damage the relationship with God. And so that is where we're heading to next week as we look at the promise that God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, and how that plays itself out in his offspring. And so for the end of Unit 1, it's important for us to remember that promise that God made in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so I hope you've enjoyed this uh, short recap of Unit 2 as we looked at Genesis 1-11. to and I can't, be, I can't wait to be with you next time as we look at Unit 3, The Promise Made to Abraham. Grace and peace.